it's good to be with all of you this morning. Thank you for joining us and for the prayer and for the online community. Thank you for being with us. And just to let you know, if you are at home and you are hungry, get in your car and come here because the charcuterie board looks really, really good today. You're not going to be disappointed. So it's worth a little bit of drive. Maybe to my mother-in-law in Texas, maybe you could just stay home. I think that would be a long trip to have a taco, but we'd love to see you anyway. But uh, for today, it's good to be together on the second Sunday of Advent, the fourth Sunday in our series about you have everything that you need. What I love about Advent, Advent is the time of the year that we stand between the two realities of Jesus has already become and he's coming back again. And we stand between these two realities and in, and in anticipation and hope and expectation. And it's an exciting time, but it's also a difficult time. Because I think we all agree waiting is hard. And none of us like to be in this in-between stage. I mean, our lives are all the same way. Our lives are in one situation, and we know what heaven and eternity have for us. And we sit in the tension of this middle zone, waiting for God for the fullness of all of us promises in our life. We're excited for what he's going to do, but it's also a difficult time to be waiting. The hard thing about waiting is it either can produce anticipation or it can produce a lot of discouragement. It can produce a lot of unsatisfaction because there's a tendency when we wait to get discouraged and start to think of all the things that I should have that I don't have. It's easy when you get discouraged to think, well, if I had this, my life would be better. Or we look at the lack of things in our life and we think, these things are all holding me back. And then you read from the book of Peter, in 2 Peter 1 verse 3, Peter says, by God's divine power, he has given us every single thing that we need for a godly life. And suddenly this whole expectation that we are missing out on something, suddenly it's lessened because of the words of Peter that we have everything that we need. Because of our relationship with Jesus, we have all that we need. And to be honest with you, I think it's easy to look at the book of Peter and read that we have everything that we need and we think, I really don't. It's easy to think, I'm missing out on something. It's easy to think, I could think of a list of things that if I had, my life would be better, my relationship with Jesus would be better. So it's easy to read Peter's words and think, I don't know if I really buy that. Of course, you might not admit that, but it's easy for all of us to think, if I had this, my life would be better and my relationship with God would be better. Or it's easy to read the book of Peter and think to yourself, well, then prove it. Prove it to me, God, that you can actually meet all of our, my needs. Or we might be like Zachariah and we actually doubt that God is capable of answering our prayers. And that's why I like Advent so much. I think Advent rolls around once a year and it's God's way of saying, I'll take the challenge to prove to you that I can supply every single one of your needs. I think Advent's that annual reminder that God came to be with us because he wanted to meet our needs. And that's why Advent is a season of great expectations. That's why for the last month I've been asking all of you to think about this question, what does God want to give you for Christmas? We know from the Bible that God wants to give us wholeness and he wants to give us holiness. And each day he wants to do that for us. But what do you think specifically that God wants to do in your life this season to draw you closer to him, draw you deeper into your relationship with him, but also to give you more wholeness and holiness? 
Because when you think about it in James 1 verse 17, it says, every gift God freely gives us is good and perfect. That means whatever God is up to, whatever God has plans for us, whatever gifts he's going to give us are good and perfect. And because they are good and because they are perfect, they will satisfy every single desire and longing that we have. So we have a confidence that God's promises are good and perfect. But yet it's really easy to be like Zechariah in doubt that God can actually do what I've requested for him to do in prayer. So today we're going to talk about Zechariah. We're going to talk about Elizabeth. We're going to talk about how God satisfy their deep needs. But before we go there, I want to pause for a moment and talk about what is sin. I want to forgive to you, maybe it is a new definition of sin. Maybe it's an idea or concept of sin that you've never really thought of before. See, it's been said before that we sin because we believe a lie about what would make us happy. Sin is basically believing a lie about what would make us happy. Now, you think about it for a moment. You go back to the book of Genesis. You get Genesis 1 and 2. Everything's perfect. God calls everything good. God supplies every single thing Adam and Eve need. And one day, God decides that it wasn't good for Adam to be alone, so he said, you know what? I'm going to give Adam what he needs. It wasn't Adam who initiated the process, and Adam never said, I'm lacking anything in my life. God was fully aware of everything that Adam needed, and so at the right time, God brought forth Eve. That's exactly what Adam needed. But it wasn't until Genesis chapter 3 where the enemy comes into the picture. And the enemy comes with that all-too-familiar voice of, do you really have all that you need? That was the bait of Satan to Adam and Eve. Do you really have what you need? See, the bait of Satan is simply this gets you to believe that God cannot supply your needs or gets you to believe that God is actually restricting you from enjoyment or actually from having fun in your life. Because Satan wants us to believe that God is restricting us, that he's not going to supply our needs. So if we want to have fulfillment or we want to have joy, we're going to have to figure out how to do that on our own. That's why I love this quote by Ignatius of Loyola. He was a founder of the Jesuit order. He's credited with this definition of sin that I like. He says, sin is the unwillingness to trust that what God wants for me is only my deepest happiness. I like that. Sin is believe is the unwillingness to trust that what God wants for me is only my deepest happiness. See, that's why the enemy's primary target in our life is to get us to believe that we lack something to get us to believe that we don't have everything that we really need to have an abundant life. So the enemy's pretty straightforward in his plans. Number one, get us to believe that we lack something in our life. Number two, get us to believe that God's holding out on us, that he's not supplying what we need. And then three, get us to believe that God is not capable to satisfy those needs. And so what we are going to have to do is figure out how to meet those needs on our own. In the great words of John Mark Comer, he says, if the enemy can get us to doubt God and instead trust our own inner intuition as an accurate compass of the good life, he has us. That's how people get captured by the enemy. They don't trust. They trust too much in their inner convictions as an accurate compass of what they need. And they don't rely on what God can do in our life. That's why most people are in captivity. They believe a lie that 
that they have to provide their own satisfaction or their own happiness instead of trusting that God wants to meet your needs. So this is where Advent comes in. Advent's this annual reminder that God wants to be with us. It's a reminder that God will come to earth in human form because he so desires to be with us. God desires to pay attention to every single one of our needs, our wants, our desires, our hurts, and our expectations, so he came in a human form to be with us. Advent is our reminder that God wants to satisfy our needs because as long as we have access to God through Jesus, we have everything we need. But there's two things that we have to settle in our heart. The first is we need to trust that God knows what's best for us which includes our happiness. And the second thing, we need to accept that God has placed desires in each of us that can only be met by him. We all have desires, and those are good things. But God wants us to go to him to have those desires met. That's why for the last four weeks, we've been talking about core needs or core desires or core longings that we all have. In your notes, I have a list of seven are from the book by Josh McDowell and Ben Bennett called Free to Thrive. And you're going to notice in different Christian books, they'll talk about seven core needs, 10 core needs, 15 core needs. It really doesn't matter how many core needs you look at. The point that we have to realize is that the deep longings and desires that we have in our heart that God wants to meet for us, that every need that you have, every desire that you have, God wants to meet that for you. So I like this list because it looks at seven common things. Like we all need acceptance. We know that we need that. And we often look for other people to give that to us. And at times that's appropriate when God puts the right people in our life. But God always wants us to go to him for the ultimate approval and acceptance. And we need assurance of safety and affirmation of feelings. We need attention. We need protection. We need access. And we need appreciation. Today I want to talk about attention. That we all need attention. That everybody around us needs attention. That people were created to be known by other people. That we were created for other people to listen to us. We're created that other people would get to know us and get to know us deeply. And so often people don't feel known. They don't feel seen. Instead they feel, well, they feel like their opinions don't count and nobody really knows them. That's a very difficult place to be in. I think we all know from little kids, what do little kids want? They want attention. All the time, they're like, look at me, watch me. We pay attention to little kids because we know when you pay attention to kids, it makes them feel secure. It makes them feel confident. It makes them feel loved and valued. And as adults, we have the exact same need. We're just sometimes not as honest about it, but sometimes we watch people that need attention as adults. It can come out just as, well, little sideways, just as a kid begging you to watch them over and over again. And God wants to know that he pays attention to us, that he pays attention to every single need that we have, every single desire that we have. That's why I love the story of Zachariah and Elizabeth. It's a story of great faith, but it's a story that God has been paying attention to them, that God knows their needs, he knows their hurt, and he knows their pain, and he wants to be with them. What I love most about the story of Zachariah and Elizabeth, it's a story of great paradoxes. On the one hand, you have the great obedience of Zechariah and Elizabeth, and the other hand, you have great doubt. On one hand, you have this great waiting, long waiting that's painful, and then you have a story of great transformation. It's a story that we can all relate to. 
There's part of the story of Zachariah and Elizabeth that we totally understand. We know what it's like to have a prayer request that seems like it's never going to be answered. But see, what I love about this story, in Luke 1, verse 6, there's a verse I think we need to pay a close attention to if you're going to understand this story. In verse 6, it says, Zachariah and Elizabeth were righteous in God's eyes, careful to obey all of the Lord's commandments and regulations. They did everything right. They were obedient. They were faithful followers of God. And yet, they still had to wait. And yet, they had sorrow in their life. And yet, they struggled with faith. And yet, they doubted. But the scripture wants us to know that these were two godly people. And because of your obedience, you cannot speed up the timing of God at times obedience is important yes be obedient but sometimes in your obedience you have to wait as well and sometimes while you're waiting it's so easy to think what's wrong with me why isn't God answering this quicker doesn't he hear me doesn't God know my life would be so much better if he would answer this quickly and so often it goes back to us thinking what's wrong with me why won't God answer me even verse 25 of Luke 1 tells us that Elizabeth viewed her barrenness as a disgrace. The woman struggled with not having children. Then she struggled believing, thinking that she was actually a disgrace. It's probably a pretty good assumption that Zachariah and Elizabeth probably felt like God is not paying attention to me, that God was ignoring them. But see, this is a story that reminds us that God's always up to something. That even when we don't see it, that God is up to something. It would be so easy for Zachariah and Elizabeth to look at their life and think they are the recipients of God's wrath. But as it turns out, instead of being the object of God's wrath, they're the object of God's kindness. As it turns out, Zachariah's unbelief is not the theme of the scripture. The theme of this passage is the kindness of God. And it's the confidence that God has in you. See, this is where we find the two characters, Zachariah and Elizabeth. They're living between the reality of what they have and what they want. They're living between the reality of the prayer that they have and waiting for an answer. But ultimately what they're looking for is they're looking for hope. They're looking for the assurance that God really sees them. They're looking to know that God is paying attention to every single one of their needs because they find themselves in the similar gap that we find ourselves. The difficulty of waiting. They desperately want a son. They desperately want a child. It's part of God's plans to give them a child, but yet they're waiting. So it seems as if they're losing hope. Elizabeth feels the disgrace of her barrenness. And then comes verse 13. This is a verse we need to pay attention to. They seem to have lost hope, and then what happens? God speaks. I love how uh, the Passion Translation and the, and the Message translate verse 13. It says, but the angel reassured Zechariah. Isn't that comforting to know? In the midst of your stress, God sent an angel to reassure you. And the angel says, don't be afraid, Zechariah. God is showing grace to you. For I have come to tell you that your prayer for a child has been answered. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to name him John. 
I love that verse. Here, God's going to reinsure you. But see, this is an interesting verse I want you to pay attention to. This verse tells us that they have been praying for a son, but it doesn't tell us when they prayed for a son or a child. You don't know if they prayed for a child the day before or 20 years earlier or 50 years earlier. See, the way that the sentence is structured in the Greek, most scholars will tell you you could easily translate this verse to say, the prayer that you no longer pray has been answered. That the prayer that you no longer pray is going to be answered. How many of us have prayers we no longer pray? Because of discouragement, or lack of faith, or lack of hope. We're so discouraged we don't even pray them anymore. But God pays attention. See, the book of Revelations tells us in Revelation 5, 8, it tells us that our prayers are stored in golden bowls before God. That's a remarkable image to consider. That there are bowls in heaven, literal bowls in heaven that contain all of your prayers. Not one is lost. They're in there. I don't know what I prayed last Sunday. God knows. I have no idea what I prayed 40 years ago. God knows. I don't even know what I prayed 45 minutes ago. But God knows. He's keeping track of every single one of your prayers. They're in a bowl. I could stop right there and we could go eat. That's good enough. And what does God tell us in this verse with Zachariah and Elizabeth? That he's paying attention to your prayers. And at just the right time, he's going to answer them. It's easy to be discouraged. It's easy to be frustrated. But God is keeping track of our prayers. See, this is not a message about what you need to do. This is not a message or a series that you need to do some more things to get some things to happen in your life. No. This is a message that God is keeping track of your prayers and he knows what you need and he knows at the right time when it's time to answer them. This is a series about you receiving what God has for you. Nobody has to strive this Christmas season. Nobody has to toil this Christmas season. You need to be in the position to receive as Abraham or as Zachariah and Elizabeth were. To receive it when the angel comes to you and says, let me reassure you, God's going to answer your prayer. See, so often when we read the story, we just focus on the barrenness or we focus on the doubt. We do that in our own life as well. When things aren't answered, we look at what I don't have. But when you focus on the own suffering of Zachariah and Elizabeth, you fail to see the bigger picture. We do that in our own life. We miss out on the big picture. There's actually two distinct stories that are going on in this situation. On the one hand, you have a story of a, of a nation that needs deliverance and salvation, and you have a couple that wants a child. When you look at these stories separate, you think, God, why don't you just give them a kid? Why'd you wait so long? They could have had a child when they were younger, had fun with little kids, and they could have had grandkids and great-grandkids, but you didn't. 
But when you put the both of the stories together, suddenly you think, ah, God's timing is so strategic. See, on the, for the, the beginning of the chapter, it starts out by saying, when Herod was king of Judea, there was a Jewish priest named Zechariah. That little sentence is packed with a lot of information that we need to understand for the story. See, Herod is the king of Judea. He's a king appointed through the Roman Empire, and he's in charge of all the Jews. He's the exact person you don't want in charge of the Jewish people. Number one, he's not Jewish, and number two, he hates all the Jews. Herod's kind of a good little picture of what the devil is really like. Because Herod's insecure, and what he wants to do is he wants to get everybody to worship him. So what does he do? He makes it really hard to be a Jew. Not only that, but he takes all of his money and builds false temples to try to get the Jewish people to come and worship his own gods. And so you have a nation of Jewish people living in, 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 in Israel, struck by this evil Roman Empire, and they're frustrated, and they want things to change, and nothing seems to change. And they desperately ask God to change things. To top that off, the Jewish people have not heard from God for 400 years. That's a long time to go without God speaking to his people. The last thing the Israelites heard was in Malachi 4 verse 5 that says, He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to the father, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. So here's half the story. The nation of Israel suffering. They're like, how much longer do we have to wait? Could you just please bring us a new leader? And then the second story is Zechariah and Elizabeth. Here, this is a story of a couple that I said that desperately wants a child. Back in those days, you kind of had to have kids for kind of a social security plan. Who's going to take care of you when you're older if you don't have kids? You didn't have Medicaid. You didn't have Medicare. You didn't have social security. You're kind of on your own. If you don't have kids or a family, who is going to watch out after you? So you can see why they want a child. So suddenly, when you take both stories, it starts to make sense. Starts to make sense why Zachariah and Elizabeth had to wait. When these stories are apart, it doesn't make sense. But when you put them together, you begin to see that there's a bigger plan that God has in our waiting. That there's a bigger plan in our waiting. I hope that encourages you to realize that your own personal suffering or your, your own obstacles is more than waiting in a hardship. That your personal challenges are part of the bigger story of God. That your life story or the challenges that you are going through can actually be for the benefit of somebody else. What Abraham or Zachariah and Elizabeth were doing, they're waiting, that was a benefit for thousands of other people that they did not even know. Their son would be a benefit for generations to come. Their own personal waiting was for the benefit of somebody else. Suddenly, when you bring those two stories together, you see that God is much more strategic in our waiting than we think. Our waiting is not random. Zachariah and Elizabeth's son would be John the Baptist. This would be a son with a unique calling on his life. We refer to him as the forerunner for Jesus. John's the fulfillment of the last time that God spoke 400 years earlier, and suddenly now God's speaking again. He's speaking into exactly what John the Baptist is going to do. Luke says, John the Baptist would turn many Israelites to the Lord their God. The son they waited for would turn many people to their God. 
He would be a man with the spirit and power of Elijah. He will prepare the people for the coming of the Lord. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children, and he will cause those who are rebellious to accept the wisdom of the godly. That would take Zechariah and Elizabeth many years to be prepared to be the parent of this child. Not anybody could parent this child. It goes without saying that Zechariah and Elizabeth waiting was probably the hardest thing in their life. But what if your biggest hurt in your life, what if your biggest challenge, what if your biggest obstacle, what if the thing that caused you to shed the most tears, God was going to use that to benefit somebody else? What if something hard you are going through is totally for the benefit of somebody else? That's a whole different perspective of waiting. Your waiting and your hardship could actually be the answer to somebody else's prayer. What you're going through could be the answer to somebody else's prayer. See, he was actually in a place that doubt of doubt that God found Zechariah. And Zechariah's response to God was, no, that's probably not going to happen. Here the angel is standing next to him, says your prayer is going to be answered, and Zechariah is like, no, nah, it's impossible. We all wish Zechariah would respond different. And we're kind of surprised. This is a man who did everything right. This is a priest. You think he would have been like, yeah, I'm on board. But yet he doubts. And I'm glad he doubted. Because we can relate to Zechariah. And I'm glad he was bold enough to say to the angel, I doubt it. Because I, I would have thought it inside my head, but I never would have dared say it. But he said it. I love his honesty. I love the fact that he struggled with doubt and he could admit it. See, Psalms tells us that God doesn't expect perfection from us, but he expects honesty from us. And I think Zechariah displays to us something that we all need to do with doubt. We confess it before God and say, I doubt you can do it. Because you know what? Zechariah's doubt did not stop God from moving in his life. Zechariah's doubt did not stop God from answering his prayers. See, God had more confidence in Zechariah than Zechariah had confidence with God. And that's the way it's supposed to be. God has more, way more confidence in all of you than you have in God. And that's okay. Because Advent is a reminder that God had to come and be with us to show us that he's paying attention to us and that he's there for us. Doubt doesn't stop God. God has more confidence in us and in his ability to move through us see, Zachariah and Elizabeth, they were praying for a child. They were probably praying for a child that would take care of them as they got older. But God had a whole different plan. They weren't just going to have Zachariah Jr. They were going to have a missionary. They were going to have a world changer. And it would take Zachariah and Elizabeth some seasons of preparation and maturity to handle being the parent to this boy. I think some of us, as we grow older, we think it's our time, oh, we're kind of, it's too late for things to happen. No, take advantage of the fact that you have maturity and you have years of experience. 
you can give birth to a John the Baptist. You can raise the John the Baptist. You can raise the next generation of world changers. Because I love what the angel said to Zachariah and Elizabeth when it said, you're going to have a child. It says, you will have joy and gladness. When your prayers are answered, you're going to have joy and gladness. But it's so easy to look at the story of Zechariah and miss the big point. That this is a chapter of God's kindness, and it's a chapter that God pays attention to you. So often people read this chapter of Luke 1, and they compare Zechariah to Mary. And they say, be like Mary, don't be like Zechariah. That's often the Christmas message. We love the fact that Mary had great faith, and we wish that Zechariah believed immediately. But I love the fact that God did not give up on Zechariah. Verse 20, the angel says to Gabriel, but now you'll be silent and unable to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words. It's easy to look at that and think God's punishing Zechariah. I don't think he's punishing him one bit. If God was punishing him, he would have said to him, well, you lost your chance to get a kid, done with you, and walked away. No, what God was showing kindness to Zechariah and saying, I want you to believe that I'm going to answer my, that prayer request. I don't want you to doubt. I want you to believe that I can do what you've asked for. I want you to be prepared for raising this son. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you a sign. You ask for a sign, I'll give you a sign. And your sign is, you're not going to be able to talk for a few months. But during that time of silence, I'm going to transform your heart. And that's exactly what happened to Zechariah. God transformed his heart. He transformed his mind, transformed his belief system. So after John the Baptist, when he was born, and everybody was around for the day for him to be circumcised, and everybody's like, he's going to be named Zechariah. And what did, what did Zechariah do? He pulled up a tablet and said, no. His name will be John. His name would be John. See, that baby had a different identity than what Zachariah and Elizabeth had planned for. And it took a deep work for God to do it in Zachariah's mind to say. Sometimes we need to go through a season of silence to understand what God is doing in our life. Sometimes we need to be silent before God so we can hear what he is saying to us and allow him to transform us, to receive what he has for us. Zechariah didn't have to perform to get that prayer answered. He had to be silent. He had to wrestle with his doubt and wrestle before God. He had to get desperate. He get desperate for God, desperate for God to listen to him, from God to hear him. He went through pain of silence, but he waited, and God responded. The story of Zachariah and Elizabeth is a story of kindness. It's a story of compassion. It's a story of God saying to you, maybe you don't trust in me, but I trust in my power to communicate to you. I trust in my ability to transform your life. And that leaves us in Advent. The series, that this, the situation where we remember our doubt is insignificant because God has more confidence in us. That's why he's with us. The story of Ad Advent, 
is God is paying attention to every single one of our prayers and our prayer requests. The story of Advent is there's a bowl in heaven with every single prayer that you've ever prayed. And at just the right time, the scripture tells us in verse 20, my words will certainly be fulfilled at the proper time. Those prayers that you have prayed will be fulfilled at the right time. So God, I thank you for today. I thank you for bringing us here. I thank you for the opportunity to be together in your presence. And I thank you, Lord, for the reminder that you answer prayers, that you keep track of our prayers. And Lord, you will answer the prayers according to your will, and you will satisfy every single need and desire and want and longing that we have. So Lord, we can come today, we can leave today with a new confidence and a boldness that you answer our prayers. And we thank you for that. God, I pray for any person here that's feeling a Zachariah moment. When you're feeling a little bit like, yeah, I kind of get this guy's doubt. I pray, God, that these people would have the ability to be honest with you and say, God, I kind of doubt it. I kind of doubt you right now. I pray that people would have the confidence to wrestle with you over their doubt in their life. But God, may we have the confidence to believe that you are capable of answering prayer requests even when we feel like we are barren and we are old and we are beyond the season of having a child that you can do something miraculous. So we say thank you, God. Thank you that you are a God that comes into our situations of hopelessness and you infuse it with your confidence in us. God, I thank you that you are paying attention to us. We just cherish that, God, that you're paying attention to us, that you know our wants and our needs and our desires. And we say thank you for that in Jesus' name. So may the Lord bless each one of you. May he protect you. May he keep you. May he encourage you. May he give you strength. May he watch over your families and may he satisfy the deep longings that you each have. May you experience joy. May you experience boldness. May you experience Advent to its fullest this year. I pray that your expectations would rise and your ability to hear the voice of God would match it. May we be a people that hear you and respond. <laughs>